Amen, and you may be seated. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, if you need a, need a Bible, don't be shy, just raise your hand and I will make sure that one of our men provides you with one. Anybody need a Bible? Are we all set this morning? Acts chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 1, read down through verse 13. Holy Spirit says, through Luke, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we, we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Let's pray. Father God, we recognize this morning that your Holy Spirit is not an it. Your Holy Spirit is a he. Your Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. And Lord, I pray that this morning your spirit would open the eyes of our hearts, so that we may see you, that we may understand your word. Lord God, I pray that we would be filled with your spirit so that we would not walk in the flesh. And Lord God, I pray this morning for the most amazing work that your spirit does, and that is taking a heart of stone and transforming it into a heart of flesh. If there is anyone in this room that does not know the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior and Master, I pray that this would be the day that the Spirit would come upon them, that they would receive Jesus, that they would be born again and would become a son or a daughter of God. Let this be the day. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Can y'all hear me? All right. Is this working? We've changed out mics, so we're testing a new mic this morning. Is it working? Yeah, I can talk loud. Y'all, they can hear me. Yeah, it's working. I'm getting yeses up here. So, all right. Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you are doing well this morning. Um, hope everybody's awake. Everyone seems a little droggy this morning. Wake up. All right, everybody needs to stretch. Just take your arms, stretch a little bit if you need to this morning. Pat your neighbor on the back. Wake them up, you know. Get some coffee if you need to. I don't mind. You can get up in the middle of the sermon and get some coffee. You can bring me some, too, while you're at it. All right, just that, that's, that's fine. But let's, let's wake up this morning, all right? Because, you know, this passage today is all about the power that God gives his people to change the world. Remember, that's what I've entitled today's message, is that the power to change the world. And that power is the Holy Spirit. It's not coffee. 
coffee might wake you up in the morning, but the Holy Spirit is the power that the church has to change the world. And that's what this passage is all about today. I did a Google search last night um, trying to see what, you know, some people thought was, you know, what they considered to be the power to change the world. So I just, just typed in those words, power to change the world, and see what I got. And I got several different results. Um, first of all, Intel thinks that they have the power to change the world, the microchip people. So they, they said that they, you know, they have the power to change the world. Um, Facebook was considered by somebody to have the power to change the world. It has the power to, I think, get you addicted and mess up your day, but I don't think it has the power to change the world. Um, hydrogen energy was considered by some to be the power to change the world. Hybrid vehicles, kindness, Obama, uh, music, uh, education. So that's just a variety, just on the first results, you know, power to change the world. But uh, I wasn't surprised that the Holy Spirit didn't come up in my Google search. Because there's only one power that God has given that is able to change the world, one life at a time, one stony heart at a time. It's the promised power that Jesus had promised in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. He says this to his disciples, and we preached on this a couple weeks back. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in Acts 1.8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we're in the middle of this series called He Reigns. We are in our third sermon uh, into this series about God's sovereignty as we look through this book of Acts and see God's sovereignty over the gospel and how the gospel spreads. And, and he gives this mission to his people in Acts 1-8 to go out and share the gospel with everyone. And, uh, but he tells them to wait for power. And last week we looked at what they did while they waited. And this week is the coming of that promised power. Now, I think two weeks ago, or maybe last week, I can't remember, it all blends together for me. I changed the sermon on the fly. And this week I'm changing my illustration on the fly because I didn't test it in advance. I'm a little bit nervous about using it. But I do have an illustration this morning for the kids. Well, well I'll just go ahead and get it. Now, I'm going to have a contest here. Actually for everybody, between this side and this side, okay? I used to do this in children's worship. It's a lot of fun. Y'all ready? Now, I want you guys, I'm going to have a contest here. I'm going to throw a balloon out to both sides, and you've got to keep it up in the air, and whichever team can keep it up in the air the longest wins. So if you guys keep yours up in the air longest, you win, and if y'all keep it up the longest, you win. Now, I don't have candy to give you like I used to do in children's worship, so sorry. I didn't, I should have planned the illustration a little bit better, but all right, here we go. Oh, yeah, and your heinies have to stay in your seats. That's what I used to tell the kids. Your heinies have to stay in your seats. We don't want anybody getting hurt here, okay? You cannot spike it. You're, you're, trying, to, you're trying to keep it up. Keep it up. All right, so Noah, come be my helper. You're going to throw it to this team when we're ready. And I've got this one ready. On your mark, get set, go. Well, they already lost over here. What do you mean it's not fair? I threw a balloon to both teams. Hand me that balloon. What? Let's try that again. All right. On your mark, get set, go. Oh. It didn't fall yet. Don't ruin my illustration, Mark. All right. There's always one that sneaks in in children's worship. just ruins everything. 
I knew Mark was the one sitting in the corner every Sunday. Yeah. All right. Obviously, it was much more difficult for this team over here because this balloon right here is, oh, thank you, is filled with something, and this balloon's not. And I gave you guys a mission, and that was to keep this balloon in the air for a certain amount of time. And this team over here was able to do the mission, and this team was not. And I want us to see this morning that the Holy Spirit came, and without the Holy Spirit's presence in the church and in his people, residing within the hearts of his people, it's impossible to carry out the mission. It's impossible to do what God wants us to do. And so as Deemer prayed, and, and, and rightfully prayed, the most important thing that can happen here today is for our hearts to be changed, because if there's anyone here that's never accepted Jesus Christ, then then you don't have the power. You don't have the power to change anything, much less the world. And God gives us his power through the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about this passage this morning. It's an interesting passage, strange in some ways, okay, because we don't see this happening all the time in the church. And so um, you may uh, read this and go, what, what exactly is going on here? Well, I have four very simple points, really just observations. We're just going to go through the text. I'm going to make four observations but I want us to bring it to a point of application at the end. Okay, and the first thing I want us to notice, if it'll work, and if not, y'all can just bring it up with me. It's a real easy outline today. Okay, first of all, I want us to notice the nature of the promised power. The nature of the promised power. Like I said, you, you, know, you look at this passage, and you might be saying, you know, what, what is this? So what, what is the Holy Spirit? What's happening here? What, what did God actually promise? Well, the Holy Spirit is the mysterious third person of the Trinity whom... Uh, God, through whom God acts and reveals his will, empowers individual, discloses his personal uh, presence in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. He's often referred to as the counselor, intercessor, teacher, comforter, and he's the promised third person of the Trinity that God, that Jesus promised to send to be with, not only just to be with, but to reside within all those who profess him as Lord. Now I want to note a couple of things uh, about the presence of uh, this, the Holy Spirit's presence with his people. Now, I showed a video earlier. I found it late last night. It ended up going perfect with the message because the very first verse is from Genesis. And from Genesis 1-1, the Holy Spirit's been present in the Bible. And some people kind of think, well, you know, you don't really see much about the Holy Spirit until you get to Acts. And that's not true. The Holy Spirit's present in all the Bible, in the Old Testament as well. And the Holy Spirit's always been at work. The Spirit has always been at work with his people. Okay? And there's often been special moves of the Spirit or special experiences of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, this is an example of one in the New Testament. And in our times, the, the, the great awakenings that happened in the 17th century and the 18th century, these great revivals were, were special moves and presences of God's Spirit. And the Bible tells us to be filled with the Spirit, to seek these experiences where we, ha we have the Spirit has more control of our life. Ephesians 5.8 says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So a special uh, empowering by the Spirit is something we can seek. It's something God does in special ways during various times in history. And he does it here in Acts chapter 2 as well. But there's also something else happening here. There's something brand new happening in Acts 2. This is, this is the dawn of a new era. This is the new covenant promise. It's the indwelling now of the Holy Spirit permanently with those who belong to him. It's something that has not happened before Acts chapter 2. Like I said, this is the dawning of a new era. It's the dawning of the church age. So Acts chapter 2 is a very important chapter because it's the beginning of the end times, really, the new age, the church age. John 7, verses 37 through 39, Jesus says this, 
On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit where he's residing with people, that doesn't, that doesn't happen before Acts chapter 2. God is with his people in certain ways and moving, obviously, all throughout the Old Testament. But then there's a special indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, like, like it says here in John, out of our hearts, okay, that didn't come until Jesus had been glorified, till he ascended back to the Father. And all those who believe in him receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of the scriptures, I think, in one of the videos of something well was Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. It talks about those who believe have received the promise, okay, uh, the seal of the Holy Spirit, in their heart. So there's kind of two things going on here. There's, 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 there's two things when we talk about being filled with the Spirit. There's fillings or special moves of the Spirit that happen all throughout history at different times. And we should always ask God to, to fill us with the Holy Spirit and should be doing practicing things in our life so that we'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. But there's also an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's a permanent thing that happens in the hearts of believers when they accept Jesus Christ. So I want us to see kind of the difference there. I mean, I could just take the balloons again. Here's another illustration on the fly I can blow this one up with air and it will do something special for a for a minute but this one has the air in it and it's sealed it's shut so God's spirit has always been moving throughout history doing special things at different times in history but in Acts chapter 2 something special begins and now the spirit is sealed in the hearts of all those who trust him as Lord and Savior all those who have professed Christ as their Lord uh, Exodus chapter 29, verses 45 through 46, talks about God's desire since the beginning of the earth, really. He said, I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So God's desire has always been to dwell with his people, and in the Old Testament, that's foreshadowed by the tabernacle and by the temple and the Holy of Holies, and, and God is with his people in that sort of way, but it was foreshadowing a greater presence, a greater dwelling. And that's why in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, what is, in the Old Testament, the temple is a physical building with stones, but what's the temple called in the New Testament? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Don't you know that your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have within you? Okay? Have from God. You are not your own. So that's the fulfillment of the prophecies we read all throughout the Old Testament, like in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, where God says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. So that's the nature. That's what's going on here. The Holy Spirit has come now in a special way, doing something extraordinary, which we'll talk about here in a second, but also in a very personal and private way, he's now residing within the hearts of all his, uh, all the believers, all those who belong to Christ. Second thing I want to see is the coming of the promised power. And I want to look at what happens here. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. First of all, let's talk about Pentecost. What does that mean? Well, Pentecost was a uh, festival, a Jewish festival. It's called the Festival of Weeks, which meant a week of weeks. And if you add, add up a week of weeks, seven times seven is 49. So it was 50 days, which is where it got the word penta. That's the Greek uh, for uh, the number five. So it's 
The Pentecost is the festival of weeks. It happens 50 days after Passover. It's also called the festival of first fruits, and it's also called, or first fruits and harvest. So you think about what's going on here. And I think God always, I know God, always does things intentionally. He doesn't just pick a day. You know what, Pentecost would be a great day to send the Holy Spirit. He's got a reason behind it. There's symbolism behind this. And God is sending the Holy Spirit on this first fruits festival, this time where they're celebrating the harvest. And in Romans 8, 23, you know what it talks about? It talks about us receiving the first fruits of the Spirit, that we've received the first fruits of, of the Holy Spirit. And then also um, the whole purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit, as we'll talk about later, is so that there will be a harvest, so it will be evangelists, so that we'll go out and share the gospel. There will be this great harvest. So there's symbolism here in the day that God has chosen to send the Holy Spirit. So they were all together. Now I want to look at that word real quick. It's actually the exact same word. It means in one accord. Remember last time we read in one accord? It was last chapter, or yeah, it was in the last chapter where it talks about they were praying in one accord. So there's, there's, there's something about this, this vision of unity, this image of unity that, that resides throughout, the God, throughout Acts. And, and the Spirit comes when they're together, when they're all together, when they're in one accord. And, and it's important for God's people. And I think God's Spirit moves in special ways when His people are living in unity and experiencing unity. Now, the Old Testament stories of God's special revelations or events um, oftentimes have uh, something that happens with a sound and, and then some sort of special sight and then always some sort of spoken word. And we see the same pattern here, okay? The same pattern, a sound, uh, a sight, and a spoken word. First of all, a sound. It says in verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house they were sitting. Now, from heaven, first of all, that tells us this is a God thing. This isn't some natural phenomenon, okay? This natural phenomenon happened in the world, and, and God's always in control of everything that happens. I, was, I did go online and read that article about um, the tornado in Minneapolis, okay? The... Um, it was the Lutheran Church having a conference in Minneapolis, and uh, weather patterns were just clear. And uh, right on the day, I don't know what day they were doing, their, how many days their conference was, but when they're, they're about to consider a new view on, home, on, on human sexuality, basically, they're ready to capitulate to worldly pressure on the way we view sexuality. And uh, they're about to have that session, and next thing you know, a tornado hits without any warning. It rips the roof off the Civic Center where they were meeting. It hits the Lutheran church, which is across the street from the Civic Center, splitting the steeple down the middle and tearing the cross off. And then it disappears. Now that happened just this past week. And I went on, I wanted to see, I want to get kind of a, I guess a non-biased view. So I went to the weather.com and got their report and they said the exact same thing. They said there was no warning. It came out of nowhere. No one was expecting it. And so, now, that's still a natural phenomenon. Tornadoes are a natural phenomenon. But you look at something like that happening, you say, whoa, okay, maybe God was saying something there when he does something that remarkable. And God's in complete control of every tornado that's ever struck any place in the planet. So he can always send a message through nature as well. But in this case here, there's something happening here that it says it's like a, a rushing wind. Because he, all throughout the Bible, whenever there's some sort of special revelation of God, these authors have to use some simile because they really can't explain what it is. There's this sound, and all Luke can say is, well, it's, it's like a rushing wind. And really it means violent wind. It's like this tornado, basically, coming through the room. And that's the best way he can explain it. 
That's the best human language will allow him to, to try to describe what is going on. Now, have anybody in here ever been, lived through a tornado? I've lived through an earthquake, and I've heard the, rush, the sound of an earthquake, and a tornado ripped the roof off my house when I was a kid. Luckily, we weren't there. Uh, we were at my cousin's house, but we, we heard the storm coming through and the, and the winds and everything, and I'm glad I wasn't in the house because, you know, I was, I'd probably be in therapy or something, but... Um, I remember that sound, though, as we were at my cousin's house, just the wind just blowing so hard. And we weren't even close to the tornado at my cousin's house. So the sound that comes in is something like a tornado-type sound, a mighty rushing wind, literally in the Greek, a violent rushing wind. I'm sure it was pretty scary. Now, there's a lot of symbolism here. The word for wind and spirit in both the Greek and the Hebrew are the same word. Okay, And it says that it filled the entire house. So this wind fills the entire house. So you see the symbolism here as Luke's telling the story. Because wind, spirit's the same word, but in a second here, it's not a house that's going to be filled. It's going to be people that are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's also a sight that happens here. Verse 3, it says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So divided tongues is symbolic of what's about to happen. Okay, this language phenomenon that's about to happen. But again, there's this simile. He says it's as of fire. I've seen lots of pictures of, of Pentecost, or, or I've seen some movies, and it, it always they make it look like little tongues that are on fire above people's head, and you're going, okay. But Luke here, I, I think he sees this, and he goes, that's what it looks like to me, or he hears this story being told, and it's what it looks like to him, but he just has to come up with a simile because this is just something phenomenon something phenomenal that's going on. But fire was often symbolic of God's power and God's presence. You remember Exodus 3, chapter 2, what was burning, kids? It was the burning bush, right? Okay, and then later in Exodus 13, 21, God led them by a pillar of fire. And so this fire was always symbolic of God's presence and his power. And fire, when you think about fire, it consumes, it refines, and God is a consuming God, a God who refines and purifies us. And we are to be consumed by his spirit in our lives, and to consequently be refined by the presence of his spirit in us. Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John the Baptist told them this. He says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's my phone causing interference. Sorry about that. It wasn't ringing, I promise. But it causes that kind of noise. All right. Where was I? So when the Spirit falls on Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, and, and also in John chapter 1, verse 32, it says it comes like a dove. And there's this symbolism that Jesus is coming to offer people peace with God. But now there's a new symbol, this refining fire that God is sending, this power that he's sending to change the world. And finally, there's a spoken word. Okay, always when God does something amazing... He doesn't just leave it at, hey, guess, you've got to try to figure out what's happening. He gives us a spoken word. And so in verse 4, it says, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Which takes us to our next point, okay? The display of the promised power. So we have what this promised power is. It's the Holy Spirit. We've talked a little bit about how it comes. And now we're going to talk about how it's displayed. In this case, there's a special display of God's Holy Spirit power in speaking in tongues. 
Now, this takes us into an area of much debate in the church today, speaking in tongues. What is that all about? Okay. Now, let me say this, though. Tongues is not the focus of this passage. The focus of this passage is what we're going to get to when I get to the fourth point, and that is worldwide evangelism. That's the focus of the passage. But a lot of people get so hung up on tongues that we go to this passage and others, and we miss what Paul's trying to speak of in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14, and we miss what Luke's speaking of here. Okay, tongues is not the focus of this passage, but it does, something is happening here symbolically as well to show us what God wants us to do with this Holy Spirit power. So first of all, let's talk about this tongues a little bit. Okay, the word literally means languages. It can also mean an utterance. Okay, in the Greek it's glossa. It means languages. So you get the same, you get the word glossary from, uh, from that same word. So it's spoken words. It's a language. And uh, it's clearly taught in this passage, very clear, that the tongues here are languages. All right? Now there's other passages. This is where some of the debate comes in. I've got my view on it, and others might have another view. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14 also begin to talk about tongues. And I believe that they're still talking about languages Although some would say that's a prayer language or some sort of spiritual language people are gifted with. Now, we're not going to get into that, okay? But regardless of what your view is of tongues this morning, it's not a normative thing in the Bible, okay? It's a very rare thing in the Bible, and if it were going on today, it should be a very rare thing today. I do not believe that all miracles have ceased from the, from the Bible. Some people believe all miracles and tongues and all that cease. I do not believe that. Okay, I believe you're putting God in a box if you say that everything has to have ceased, Okay, and plus, um, I'll share this one story, and I can't remember what professor it was, uh, Deemer, at Southern, shared with us that he went to, um, uh, to uh, Russia, and he was going, to, he didn't speak a lick of Russian, went to Russia to uh, do a music conference, actually, while he was there, and was there at the service, this very first Sunday he was there, and now people in Russia could speak, to a certain degree, at least in this part of Russia, English. It was usually broken, but they had learned enough English to be able to communicate with people who speak English, and that's the way most of the world is because English is the global language now. And so they knew enough English to speak in some broken English. And, um, and then the, so they had the service that day, and they recognized this distinguished visitor from the United States they have, and they did the whole service. And after the service, the, this professor went up to his translator, was with him, and said, I just can't believe, I'm so honored that you guys did the service today in English. And the translator said, we didn't do the service today in English. It was in Russian, like it was supposed to be. And so this guy was expecting to go sit and just hear a sermon in Russian and not be able to understand a bit of it, I guess. But instead he heard a sermon in English, and he said, yeah, I believe him. He said, I don't know what happened there. I don't know if that's tongues. I don't know why. All I know is I heard the sermon in English, and I was told that it was pre preached in Russian. Okay? Now, I promise you guys out there, I'm preaching in English this morning, all right? In case you're sitting there going, I wonder if he's speaking Spanish. No, I'm, I'm speaking English, okay? So we're not, having, we're not experiencing anything supernatural like that right now. But I, so I do think God can still, because he's God. It's the Holy Spirit. He can do whatever he wants to. He can still move however he wants to in the world. And I've heard too many stories as a missionary kid on the mission field of all kinds of supernatural things happening, not just stuff like this, that I'm not going to put God in a box and say the miraculous doesn't happen anymore. We happen to live in a country where we don't see much of it because I think we have a lot of people who don't believe in it anymore and aren't expecting it. But God still does spectacular things all around the world. You know, uh, at the same time, though, I want us to notice that this thing comes from God. This is God. He's the one, he's the one causing the spirit is causing the utterance here. It's not something we can make happen. 
which is one of the frustrations I have with the way people view tongues. I was at a conference, a children's ministry conference of all things, and I'm not going to say what church it was, but it was a church that has obviously a different view of tongues than I do, and they, were, they had a whole session on teaching how to teach children to speak in tongues. And the way it worked was you had the kids come forward, ask them, do you want to speak in tongues? And the kid says, yeah, I want to speak in tongues. And they say, lean over in their ear and tell them just to start saying syllables. Just say whatever comes into your mind. And then encourage them that they're speaking in tongues. Now that, to me, is totally in contrast to what the Bible teaches. Totally. And in contrast to what this very passage teaches. Because it says this is, as the Spirit gives them utterance. As the Spirit gives them utterance, this is what is happening. Matter of fact, there was another story from the very beginning of the, ni- of the 20th century of a missionary who was so convinced that tongues was languages, like I am, but also so convinced, I guess, that they can manufacture it. person sold all their goods, decided they want to be a missionary, went to China without learning Chinese because they had confidence and faith that God would help them speak Chinese when they got there. person got ran out of China. I mean, they couldn't speak a lick of Chinese. We just start talking to people, and, and the people are like, what are you doing? And they, they sent him back. Okay, so it's not something we can manufacture. It has to be a special move of the Holy Spirit, whatever's happening here in this passage. It's a supernatural event, and it has a distinct purpose. Okay, it has a purpose, and the purpose is that God's Spirit, okay, I'm going to bring up our last point, that God's Spirit came so that the gospel could be spread. God's Spirit came so that the gospel could be spread. God's purpose is to spread the gospel to all people all over the world. He gives His Spirit for many reasons. Our helper, our guide, our comforter. But I believe one of the primary reasons that God has given us His Holy Spirit power is to empower us to live like Christ and to share the gospel through our lifestyle and through our words with everybody with whom we come in contact. It's vividly demonstrated here in this unique event. It says that they were all empowered and they all began to speak in these miraculous languages. And it begins to talk about all the different types of people there. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. Now Luke uses the hyperbole here uh, to demonstrate the diversity of the situation. There were all kinds of diaspora Jews that were now back home living in Jerusalem, had come back from various parts of the world. There were also people there because of the feast. I was reading some other documentation on the Pentecost. They said Pentecost actually was more visited than Passover was. There were more people that came in for the feast of Pentecost, the Passover, because the weather was better. It was much easier for people to travel by the time Pentecost rolled around. So there's lots of people there from all over the world. And God's doing this special event. He's breaking out these special languages at this time, or this ability to speak foreign languages at this time, because he's showing us what his mission is. And his mission is for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. And that's why he's doing this here. Acts 2.6 says that the sound... At this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, I don't know what sound Luke's referring to. I don't know if he's talking about the mighty rushing wind, the, the tornado sound, or if he's talking about the, the, the sound of the voices, the, the, the speaking in tongues, the languages. I tend to think it's the languages, okay, because, um, I mean, I, I've lived in a foreign country where you don't hear people speaking your language. And when you hear someone speak your language, okay, it gets your attention. So I've lived in Ecuador, where I've been at, you know, wherever, at a soccer game or whatever, and all of a sudden I hear someone going, hey, how are you? And that just immediately, I say, hey, I heard that. What was that? You know, I, I hear somebody. So I'm thinking probably it was the sound of the, of the um, or maybe both. Boom, this noise. Everyone goes, what was that? And then all of a sudden they hear these languages. And they say, well, what's that? And then they begin to gather 
and hear the gospel message. So their attention is caught by hearing the language or, and by hearing the sound, and they were also astounded by those who were talking. Yeah, I remember once when I came back to the States, I don't look like a guy who can speak Spanish. I just don't look like that. I mean, people look at me. And so I remember I, I liked using my Spanish when I first got back. I think it was just kind of, I like to kind of just, hey, surprise people. So I, I go into Taco Bell in Abilene, Texas, and the person behind the counter is, is a Hispanic person. And I order in Spanish. So I kind of want to show off, you know. And, uh, and they were like shocked. And they said, you don't, you, he, they literally said, you're the whitest Spanish person I've ever seen. <laughs> and that's what they said to me. And, uh, and so that's, you know, I think that's surprising to them too because look at what the next verse says. Acts chapter uh, 2, verses 7 through 8. It says, they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them or each of us in his own native language? Now, Galileans were considered to be rural kind of folks. Okay, it's kind of the way Yankees view Southerners, all right? I mean, every time you watch a TV show and they depict someone from the South, I mean, my goodness, they depict them as, as, as dumb and ignorant. And so, you know, that's kind of how people viewed Galileans, okay? So what they see here, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Gomer Pyle breaking into French or something, all right? Okay, there's Gomer Pyle, you know, all shucks, you know, all of a sudden he starts speaking perfectamente el español. Hola, amigos, you know, whatever. Okay, and that's, that's kind of what's happening here. So they're, they're kind of astonished. It's like hearing French at a NASCAR race or something, all right? So <laughs> God has their attention now. He's got their attention. Okay, he's got them astounded by this miracle. Okay, so that they can hear the gospel message. Because what it says next, and, and look at, go down to verse 11. It says, they were hearing them tell in their own tongues, in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. The mighty works of God. The purpose in this miracle is evangelism. The purpose of this passage is that God has a plan for the gospel to go to all nations. And it's evangelism. It's telling people of the mighty works of God. The purpose of receiving this mighty power of God through the Holy Spirit in our lives is evangelism. God is showing us through this miracle that there's no barriers to the gospel. There's nothing that's going to stop God from accomplishing his purposes. Imagine these, these 120 people that are gathered in the upper room. They've just gotten this mandate to go to all to the ends of the earth. And they're probably sitting there thinking, how is that going to happen? And then, you know, maybe Peter's looking over at John and saying, do you speak, you know, whatever? You know, do you, how is this going to happen? And the fact of the matter is, God makes it happen. God is the one who makes the gospel spread to all the ends of the earth. We are his tools. We are, he uses us and, to go out and share that gospel, but nothing's going to hinder him from getting the gospel to all the places he wants the gospel to get to. And that's God's purpose. He's got this gospel purpose here that's underneath and driving this whole miracle. In Genesis 11, we have this story of a proud, sinful people being judged by God at the Tower of Babel where he scatters them and splits their languages. And now here we have, in Acts chapter 2, God reversing that by bringing men to himself and unifying them in Christ and overcoming the language barriers. God is a God, God is God, and nothing will stand in his way of accomplishing his purposes. And we're called to do the same thing. We're called to share the mighty works of God. We're called to share the mighty works of God. All of them from creation, Genesis 1-1, 
to our own redemption. What could be a mightier work than what God's done here in this heart? My sinful, rebellious heart. And I can tell people God's done something with me. God's changed me. That's a mighty work of God. And that's our job is to go out and tell people all the mighty works of God. Psalm 78, 4 is one of my favorite passages. It talks about sharing this stuff with your children. It says, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. Or as the NIV, I think, says, the mighty works of God and his might and the wonders that he has done. Think about that. Our mission field is our home. Our mission field is our neighborhood. Our mission field is our city. Our mission field is our community, our state, our nation, our world. And we need God's spirit, God's power to do the home evangelism as much as we need it to do it for worldwide evangelism. Because you know what? I think we get convinced ourselves. We convince ourselves that as long as we've read enough Dobson books or whatever other books, that we can accomplish this task of sharing the gospel with our children. And we've got, we've got routines down, and we've got all this stuff down. But you know what? Sometimes we fail to do what the disciples did, and they need a filling of the Holy Spirit. You cannot convert your children to faith. You cannot do it. Only God can convert your children. And so therefore, no matter if we view the mission field as small, home, or we view the mission field as, hey, I think God's calling me to Cambodia, whatever. You need as much power to speak the gospel to a Cambodian as you do to your seven-year-old. Same Holy Spirit power. And I'll confess, how often do I ask, say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can speak to my children about your mighty works today. I don't do it like I need to. We are to share with our kids the mighty works of God. And we have to have God's power to do that. We have to God, have God's power to do anything, and most importantly, to do the mission that we've been called to do. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the well-known Great Commission passage. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And here it is. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How is Jesus with us? Through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Always, even to the end of the age. Why did he add that to the end of the Great Commission? Because we can't do the Great Commission unless he's with us. We can't do it unless he's empowering us. So, this coming of the Spirit... It's in a special way here. I don't think we should expect to speak in tongues every Sunday, all right? So there's something special happening here. But there's also something very personal that should have happened in every single person who's accepted Jesus, that the Spirit has come to reside within you. And therefore, we have the power to be evangelists and to share the gospel. I have to, I mean, I have to memorize this verse and say it to myself over and over and over again. 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 8, and I'll close with this. For God gave us a spirit... Not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, we all know that verse. Okay, Good, fun, fun one to quote to the kids. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, especially like when there's a tornado coming. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Buddy, you can do it. All right. But you know what? What's, what's the context of that verse? If you read verse 8, this is what verse 8 says. Therefore, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. Therefore, Timothy... Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. 
Timothy, the reason God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind, is so that you will not be ashamed of the gospel and that you'll share it with people. That's why he's given you the spirit. It's so that you will be a witness, a powerful witness who is not afraid to share his faith. Now we leave the results in God's hands, don't we? The nature of the promised power, okay, we talked about what the Holy Spirit is, how it came, these, this noise and everything, this display of tongues, and we've talked about the purpose. And, uh, but sometimes I think we like to be in control of the results, don't we? We like to be, you know, God, I've asked for your filling, and I've shared the gospel, or I've prayed, and things just aren't turning out the way I want. Well, you know what? Look at how this thing ends here today. There are some people who genuinely ask, what does this mean? I, I take that as a genuine statement. They want to know what's going on here. What does this mean? What, what is this? these mighty works of God that these people are talking about. And there were some people that mocked, basically said, you're drunk. These people are drunk. They're filled with new wine. We don't know what the reaction's going to be. We don't know what the reaction's going to be when we share our faith. All we know is God has given us a mission. He's filled us with the Spirit so we can accomplish the mission. It's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. So all I want us to do right now is close our eyes and pray. And this morning as we think about our families, I think if you have children in your home, your primary mission field is not your neighborhood, it's your home. So we think about our home, we think about our neighborhoods, think about people maybe at our workplace that we've begun to build a relationship with, and we think about the challenges of trying to share the gospel with them. As we pray, I want you to have those people in your mind, and I want you to be praying for their salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to you right now, Lord, we acknowledge that we don't have power. Lord, I don't care how eloquent we speak or how, uh, how funny we can be in the office or how disciplined we are at home with our kids. God, I don't care about any of that stuff because that's all empty power. That's, that that kind of fits into the, the same category as the very first things we discussed, Lord, with intel and hydrogen energy. That can't change the world. Lord, no matter how well we homeschool, no matter how well we discipline, no matter how well we, we go to our office and, and, uh, and have a good attitude, and God, we know that we need your Spirit's power to enable us to share the gospel. Lord, that's the reason you sent it. So there's this supernatural thing, Lord, that you did. And God, we ask, we want to be filled with your Spirit. We want to see a special move of your Spirit. God, do whatever you want with us. And God, we want to see you do something special at Harbin's and and give us the power to reach this community for Christ and beyond. So God, we acknowledge that there's nothing inside of us that can do this. You're sovereign, you're king, you're going to accomplish your plans in your manner. And God, we just beg to be a part of that. We beg that you give us your Holy Spirit power to do it. So we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.